Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. One go. Hey everybody, this is episode 067, Shot Show 2023, and we have Dan Eastland, welcome knife enthusiast to the podcast about Shot Show 2023 in Las Vegas. As a knife maker and designer, I can tell you this event is a true highlight of the year for the industry. The latest designs and technology from the top manufacturers in the world are on full display. It's an opportunity to see firsthand the passion and craftsmanship that goes into every blade. I am honored to be attending the show and can't wait to share my thoughts and insights with you. Let's all dive into the world of knives and discover the latest trends and innovations that make our community so special. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> that was brought to you by ChatGPT. I typed in there, write an intro and put in the voice of Dan Eastland. I thought it did pretty good. So Dan said, why don't you just go ahead and read it? So hope you guys like it. Uh, because, you know, Dan's dyslexic and he doesn't read more than three sentences in front of adults. <laughs> I've got to admit, well, first of all, I was going to, I was going to tell you, it's okay to have a conversation with yourself as long as you don't argue. If you start <laughs> arguing with yourself, then, then it's time to see somebody. Yeah. How are you doing, Dan? Um, I am doing really well. Um, uh, needed a couple of days to, to recover from, uh, from Vegas. I saw you had a Bloody Mary in one of your Instagram posts. Because, as we all know, that fixes everything. <laughs> all good decisions are followed up with a Bloody Mary. Yeah, man. Just keep it rolling. <laughs> it, local place called The Warehouse. Uh, really cool. Couple of restaurants, couple of bars, all, surprisingly enough, in a warehouse with some live mm -hmm. music. But, man, really good top-shelf Bloody Mary. There's some fried shrimp, uh, some pickles. Uh, fried green tomato, a couple other little little things in there just to, to help get you over the hump. One, two, three of those will fix you right up. I forget the name of the place in Chicago, but they had like one of the one of the records for a while for like the most toppings for a <clears throat> Bloody Mary. And it like they like have a glass reinforcer to like hold it upright because <clears throat> one of them <clears throat> is like one of the things they put on there is like a two pound, like complete fried, like whole fried chicken. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like you get that. It was like over a hundred dollars, but it's like an entire meal on top of your bloody Mary. You know, and there's a fine line there. Like the one that I got uh, at the warehouse was like right at the edge of how much extra garnish to put in a bloody Mary. Mm -hmm. Is at some point you start negatively affecting the volume of the bloody Mary. Yeah. Well, this one, yeah, it was like, I don't know, probably two feet tall. <laughs> because I can, that's why. Yeah. But yeah, uh, one of my one of my good friends in college, uh, he woke up one morning and he's like, man, I don't I don't feel like I got a hangover or anything. I feel good. And then he said he tried to put his pants on and he like <laughs> took a couple steps and face planted into the wall. And he goes, that's because I think I'm still drunk. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The, the classic answer for us was always like, oh, wait till, wait till you sober up. <laughs> yeah. I haven't so, been morning drunk, you know. Well, I, I was never so irresponsible that I would be morning drunk. But if I had, it definitely would have been 20 years ago. Well, if you're going to drink all day, you got to start early. This is true. <laughs> so. And that uh, Sunday was a, a little bit of day drinking that turned into night drinking. Okay. Um, I don't believe the three bottles of sparkling wine that was supposedly mimosas that led us into the evening. Okay. I, I think Beth dug some uh, some old empties out of the recycling and put them on the counter. There's, oh. That's just not possible. We didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. There's a place near us that on their Sunday brunch, they have unlimited mimosas. And if you want, they'll just do straight champagne, which is what uh, Courtney usually has them do. Uh, Beth, uh, we've got little ice cube trays and she fills, uh, fills them with orange juice mm-hmm. and just drops an orange juice cube in the glass and then pour champagne over it. Yeah. Um, and it was just recently that we found out that the, the idea was you mix the mimosa and then put the, orange juice cube in it to keep it cold and both of us looked at the person like you idiot that that would water it down too much um that's fine. turns out i might have a problem i'm uh i'm checking myself in next week <laughs> oh that's funny well i'm glad i i i'm feeling a lot better today than i uh was uh yesterday well, family got sick so uh we all this is the first time all of us have stayed home from work and stuff to take care of everybody. So it was like a communal being the good dad that you are. You shared everything with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's like only two of us have been sick at like one time. So um, it usually is more drawn out instead of like a short condensed time. So a lot better now. Got a bunch of knives out. was happy to see that, including, uh, the mega chef knife that I'll be hosting here soon. Uh, it weighed 14 ounces for my wife's cousin who said he has really big hands. So it's got a really big handle. I hope you enjoy it, Alan. <laughs> and when, uh, talking about both kids being sick, when the boys were little, we had this thing called, they were called neat sheets. They're inexpensive, little waterproof ground cloths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd put, couple of pillows down on the floor and throw the neat sheet over them right in front of the tv hand them each a big steel mixing bowl just got to stay on the sheet you can watch cartoons all day there's there's pillows underneath it was nice and soft and whatever happened it was uh everything was wipe upable yeah yeah luckily luckily everything was fairly clean my wife stayed home today she still is feeling bad but she also like is disinfecting the whole house it's like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. All right. So, let's get into this. Yeah. You want to introduce our first sponsor? I do. That is Jance Knife Supplies. Jeff, Jance Knife Supplies. If you use discount code KPGRIP, you'll get 10% off your handle materials. That's Jance Knife Supply. I was going to go on my whole spiel about uh, how they're really good about keeping. Uh, high, but a good uh, a good stock of ones and twos for handle materials. But at this point, I'm going to assume everybody's heard it. <laughs> I'm going to give you a break. 
Our next sponsor is Atlas Materials. They have almost every kind of phenolic and uh, synthetic material you could ever ask for. And one of the guys that was at my shop, uh, Matt Strong of Strong Knife Company, uh, he stopped by there on the way down, uh, had dinner with us on Friday. And uh, yeah, lots of cool stuff there. Had a bunch of the like imitation ivory, some of the... um, a lot of the crazy fiber and stuff like that. He had one that was like a camo colored crazy fiber that turned out like super cool. And that, uh, that faux ivory they do is a uh, food safe. Yeah. I'm pretty cool. sure they still have it on their website, but they've got the, the documentation for it that it's, uh, I forgot the overseeing organization, um, what is it? food and national Institute of health. Uh, it might be, but yeah. there's also a, uh, I guess every state has a different one, but the the organization that inspects restaurant kitchens. Isn't that OSHA? Uh, no, that's workplace safety. You know, we'll, we'll just edit that whole part out. Nobody <laughs> needs to hear this. <laughs> that's our inexperience of knowing what we're talking about sometimes, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Phoenix Abrasives also, and you can use discount code KP10 for 10% off all your orders and materials and things. And uh, they're going to be having a new website soon that'll make it a lot easier to use and um, looking forward to that. Um, But hopefully, hopefully their um, shop rolls of um, hand sanding grit sandpapers will be available. Yeah. And then uh, I think you need to try out some of that rhino stick that I uh, heard about. So, yeah, um, I was a little hesitant with the adhesive, but. I've heard a couple of people sing its praises, so I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, it's really good for the radius sanding sticks. And then I love it a lot oh, for sticking that. it on a stick and then uh, being able to really get those pins nice and flat. Uh, um, you don't have to worry about holding the paper and stuff. You can just concentrate on getting it right where you need it. You know, and that's my uh, my thumb and index finger very rarely have uh, fingerprints anymore. Okay. Like I can't pick up microfiber towels because it's like Velcro. Like they stick to those two fingers. Really? From holding the sandpaper on my sanding sticks. Hmm. Like I can't use my index finger for the the fingerprint ID on computers. Okay. Because it gets torn up from sandpaper so often. Like it it'll work for a week and then it won't recognize me anymore. Huh. Um, Interesting. So with the adhesive, maybe I won't keep those fingers shredded. Well, for hand sanding blades i found it to be a little bit take a little too long to peel and restick and everything but yeah um for like doing my um my transitions from my bevels into my where my handle is i like it for that uh being able to just concentrate so much more on that little area than like the big getting the whole bevel finished up Definitely check that, check that stuff out. Uh, Greg and Sean are awesome. Look forward to seeing them in March at the Badger Show that we'll be talking about down to the bottom a little bit. And you want to do Old Town? I do want to do Old Town. Uh, Old Town Cutlery, you're going to want to use discount code KP10 for 10% off all orders. Still haven't confirmed whether or not that includes like all their vintage case knives and that sort of thing. So I say give it a try and see what happens. <laughs> Um, really phenomenal people to work with. Um, again, I, actually, I don't think I've found anybody that's got better prices on uh, G Flex yet. 
but they're also good. Uh, the hobbyist that wants to try one or two knives, they've got uh, all the kit materials, and I think they are still doing uh, making classes. Also, yeah. uh, for all my fellow dyslexics out there, if you can misspell their name within the realm of possibility, but if a dyslexic can try to spell their name in any way that, that comes out of their head and they can't get to the website, uh, they'll give you some sort of prize because <laughs> apparently they own every freaking domain that could be anywhere near Old Town. Nice. Let me put it this way. Every time I've ever put uh, Old Town into a search engine, I've gotten to them. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then our last sponsors are uh, the wonderful Dogwood Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives. So thank you. Thanks you for all of our sponsors and uh, for dealers. Like we mentioned above old town cutlery for dogwood, custom knives and cage daily knives. And you can also find both dogwood, custom knives and cage daily knives at knife center. And you can find dogwood, custom knives at the cook station and blade HQ. And you can also find cage daily knives at Northside cutlery. So thank you to all of our dealers <laughs> there. And, um, Thank you for all you do there. Um, and then I'm going to put this farther ahead in the episode because I forgot to talk about it. Um, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to put it in there, but uh, FYI to everyone going to Blade Show, I got a uh, phone call <laughs> from an actual person wanting me to finalize my Blade Show reservation. And um, the voicemail that I got from an actual person sounded legit enough legitimate enough for me to call them back and talk to them um they couldn't tell me what hotel i was supposed to stay in but they wanted me to give them their, my credit card number um <laughs> and they got the dates that my my actual check-in checkout dates were wrong pretty close but wrong and i uh, didn't have a whole lot of extra information and they said well i have a confirmation number and then she said okay bye and hung up so <clears throat> lots of people are getting their like Instagram accounts hacked guys. Make sure you have that two factor authentication on your Instagram account. Uh, make sure you check. Um, don't get, or when people call for stuff like that, wanting you to finalize reservations and stuff that you've already done, don't give them more information than what they have. Make them give you some information just to uh, be leery. Cause um, the best it seems like there's enough, people out there that it's working on that this stuff is just getting harder and harder to kind of sniff out to the best of my knowledge. Now I started to say blade show has never asked for payment information over the phone, but I, I don't work there, so I don't want to go that far, but yeah, be very leery of anybody that wants any sort of payment information. Yeah. And yeah, so it'll come through or I forget what the name of the company is right now, but um, there's only one provider that does the Blade Show reservations, and that comes through their email uh, stuff. If Blade Show doesn't sell your email address, so like people trying to sell you the attendees list, anybody that's ever had a table there, I get like three emails of those a week yeah. uh, that they want to sell me the attendees list uh, for all the shows now. Uh, just be super leery of all that stuff, guys. Yeah, and some of them, basically, they go on they go on some of the websites and they pull down addresses. Um, yeah, and that's what that's what those attendees lists are for anybody that doesn't know that hasn't had a table there. 
So Blade Show does not sell your information. Yeah, people are getting it, but I promise you it's not worth whatever they're charging. Yeah, they basically just take the all the vendors that they put up on their website and then they go to their websites and crawl like email addresses and phone numbers and stuff and put it all together. So um you can put all that stuff together, but it does take some time. But if 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 they're sending out that many emails, there's enough people paying for it that um I don't understand why, but um just just be careful guys. Don't keep that keep your credit cards and stuff um safe. Yeah, and I just pulled up the Blade Show website. I was looking to see if they had a phone number. In the end, um just tell whoever you're talking to that you're going to send a confirmation email, Blade Show. Okay. Um if they're legit, they should be okay with that. And then you know what? actually let me check. Um I mean, if you're sending it to a known Blade Show address, that's a that's an easy way to get confirmation that it's legit. Um, yeah. yeah, they don't have blade show doesn't have a public phone number, but they do have, uh, it is blade at bladeshow.com is their email address. It, make sure that you type that in because man, I've gotten some, I've gotten some phishing emails that the address looked legit. But if you send it to blade at bladeshow.com, that's an easy way to verify. And if they start high pressuring you, no, we've got to have it now, then you know it's BS. Yeah. So the the official housing provider is EventSphere. I just looked it up in my email. So I've got, or they've got your acknowledgement number and all that stuff. So um, that's the the only one. And make sure you check check that out, EventSphere. P-H-E-R-E. Uh, so for Guild Watch and Knife Shows, we got Spirit of the Blade coming up in Troy, Ohio, March 3rd and 4th. Uh, you can find such wonderful people as Jess Hoffman, Clarence DeYoung, Doug Ritter with Knife Rights, and so many more. And uh, they've got its uh, Instagram account, Spirit underscore of underscore the underscore blade. And... Uh, I know Jess Hoffman has always told me it's such a great time and I saw his name was on the thing. He's got a bunch of knives. He's making up for it right now that he's been posting reels and pictures of uh, on his Instagram. He's been doing some really impressive uh, handle finishes. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's almost gotten like furniture maker, French polish nerd out on uh, some of his finishes, like 2000 grit buffed finishes. Mm-hmm on some of that micarta is looking stunning. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was using a little bit of my red FR four stuff that I gave him yep. uh, when he was down. So. I thought that's what it was. Yeah. I need to send you some more of that. You do wait more. I don't have any. I gave you some at plate show last year. No, no, I don't think you did. I think you're mistaken. I, I have no, <laughs> <laughs> I did not sleep with that woman. <laughs> Okay, no politics. Or the last <laughs> seven jokes that just came into my head. <laughs> um, and then we've got uh, Blade Texas in Fort, Fort Worth, Texas. That's March 17 and 18. I have heard great things about the show. Unfortunately, I had some conflicts in March, so I won't be exhibiting, but I am trying to get down to go as a, uh, you know, I want to see what it's like from the other side of the booth. 
it uh, it's been almost 15 years since I've gotten to go to a blade show as an attendee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be kind of fun. Yeah. I know one of the listeners of the podcast, Frank Grissom of Grissom knife and tool is going to be there and a bunch of other people. Um, Frank's local to me. He's uh, been a great help with uh, when I had some laser engraving for my knives done. So cool. thanks Frank. And uh, we've got the Badger Show in Janesville, Wisconsin at the end of March, the 24th through 26th. You can find most of the people that are in the Midwest Knife Makers Guild go to that one. And uh, you can find them at the badgerknifeclub.com. So all those links will be in the show notes. And for shout outs and gear talk, uh, I've got the first one, Brent Smith of Baldman Knife and Tool. Uh, definitely give him a call. Him and I are swapping a blade. He made uh, one of his uh, clipper blades for me um, with a blue liner and some crosscut G10 or crosscut canvas micarta. Um, I'm a sucker for that. Um, looking forward to getting that knife. And uh, thank you for all you do, Brent. Um, and Ulti Clip, who I've been using for a long time. I'm really little embarrassed that I haven't done a shout out, but it's one of those things that you use it all the time and you don't think that people may not know about it. Uh, I started using them on the Amazon trips because frequently I'm wearing like athletic shorts in the jungle and I don't have a belt mm-hmm. and their clips fasten well enough that I can use Kydex sheaths on basically pajama pants with no belt. Uh, the retention is phenomenal. It takes takes a couple of times on and off to loosen them up enough. The first couple of times I got to get them off, you almost need a hammer and a chisel. But they break in really quickly. And the the grip, I guess is the best way to say it, is phenomenal. While I was in, uh, in Europe, I had uh, Kydex. And I'd hang it upside down. I'm not going to show y'all because y'all don't have cameras. <laughs> see this face. Um <laughs> But I learned it from uh, Mark Hopper that you can use a single uh, clip at the end of your Kydex and clip it right in the armpit, right there where the fabric meets of a jacket or shirt. I did a sweater, and then it just hangs upside down right there along your side, and it's really easy to get to. Um, huh. And it it the the drape it doesn't mess up the drape of your jacket. Everything looks good. Um, so you're if you're in a situation. Where, like, I was out to some nicer places for dinner, and a, a four-inch blade on my belt just would have looked out of place, but clipped right into my sport coat like that. Couldn't tell I had it, and I had a proper steak knife for me when uh, when it came time to eat meat. Gotcha. I was going to say you didn't have you weren't carrying like a one of your gentleman's folders. Um, you know, I've got one or two that I really like, but I'm. I like to carry my own stuff. Okay. Um, you know, I, I love my Laol. I love um, uh, uh, Monterey Bay. That's who does the little carbon fiber folder that I like. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I can't remember who did the pocket rocket. That is a cool little two blade. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and I the like, one you got at Blade Show this past year, right? Yeah, that I've got to get a new one. TSA. Um, when I was packing and repacking, apparently I had left it in my shaving kit um, oh. and TSA confiscated it. Hmm. So it, I was a little up. No, I wasn't a little upset. I was full on upset, but is what it is. 
So I've got to reach out and try to get a, a new one because I actually do carry that a lot because it's so small. It just disappears mm-hmm. in my pocket. Yeah, that one's pretty cool because it has the you can swap out the little blade or a bottle opener. Yep. Um. So, yeah, it pretty much what I hope y'all have figured out by now is um, I was in Europe and my concealed carry really doesn't apply to uh, to firearms in Europe. So, you know, I, I needed to, to have my steak knife with me for in case I got a really tough cut of meat. You know, the, the restaurant provided steak knives are usually crap. Mm-hmm. And that's why I carry a, a, a four inch bladed steak knife with me when I go out to dinner. They're almost always crap. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a lesson on that. Um, Warhorse in Atlanta bought a bunch of the fish and fowls to use as steak knives. So I started fishing them to, or fishing them, shopping them to a couple other restaurants. And repeatedly I heard, they're too nice. People are just going to steal them. And I, I wasn't prepared for that. And kind of, I had a, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, why do you think the salt and shit? pepper shakers, the steak knives, all of that is such crap at the restaurants. It's because if we make really, if we use really nice ones, people will just steal them. Just didn't, didn't compute for me. Mm. I wanted to make the argument. Well, if you use a really good steak knife, they're not going to steal them because it'll fall right out of their pocket or cut through their purse or. Yeah. But one of the reasons restaurants have such shitty steak knives is that way people don't steal them. Yeah, I've heard of a few people that have made uh, sets and stuff like that, and they'll actually make like some four piece like holders and they'll actually like bring the holder to the table. And if they're not four knives in there, when the, the waiter takes it back, they just charge them for the knife. Yeah. So that's a very good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can, I- you can buy them or. <laughs> yeah. Or we're going to charge you for it. Uh, yeah, because I've been to a couple of restaurants where they bring out the case and they open up the case and you select your steak knife. But that's usually s- small enough restaurants that they're going to notice if something disappears. Mm-hmm. But that's the answer to why restaurants have such poor quality steak knives. Yeah. Yep. All right. And this one is, it, I, I, I'm sure I could find some way to make this knife related, but. It's it's just fun. Um, our crazy Uncle E found their booth at the SHOT Show and took me over there. And I mean, I tried to be responsible with my funds and make good, logical decisions. But, I mean, he just pressured me so hard that there was nothing I could do but go ahead and order one of these. Um. Just in what? case Beth is still listening to the podcast, that is absolutely what happened. I I tried to resist, but it it got to be an awkward situation. It was a it was a it's a financial investment. I'm I'm building relationships. Yeah. Um. What you it, get? It is from a company called Steambow. Okay. And it is a little crossbow, like a super compact crossbow. And it comes with you can get it with either a forty five pound limb or a ninety pound limb. Um, the one I got is the tactical one, which is magazine fed. I didn't find out till later that they've got one that they call a survival. Um, it's a lower profile. It's a little more practical. This, the magazine fed one 
is a really cool idea, but it's not terribly practical. Their survival one is very practical. Fortunately, when I test shot it this morning, I did it on my outdoor archery target uh, because the bolts on these things are about eight inches long and it buried them. I mean, there's just a tiny bit of the fletching sticking out of a full-size archery target from 15 yards out. Yeah. If I'd used my little four-inch target in the shop, I'd have poked holes in the wall. (laughs) Um, Put some tape over that. Yeah. Well, the the inside hole would be okay. I may or may not have actually done some outside holes because it's a uh, it's a thin skin metal building. Okay. But I was shocked at, at forty five pounds. It went from from toy to no. This this is actually is, needs to be respected. Um, and yeah. it's got a cocking mechanism that uses uh, you use the handle as part of the lever. So there's a a little lock. You disconnect the lock and you fold it in half, kind of like the Stoger air rifles, uh, okay. to cock it. Which with uh, with my bum arm, I was actually able to cock it one handed. Uh, and it is, yeah, I'm not kidding. It's cool, and you can get them with laser sights and all this other stuff. But it is, uh, I'm a little terrified to see what the 90 pound limbs will do, because I think it's. Uh, I think it's a 300 grain bolt. Well, um, and if it's burying, you know, eight inches into an archery target at 15 yards, I, I'm going to have to check some some bylaws on hunting in uh, in Georgia or not in Georgia, not in Georgia, in South Carolina. Oh, uh, and the whole thing is, man, it is maybe 12 inches wide at the limbs, maybe 18 inches wide at the limbs, and it's got a collapsing three position stock, like an AR stock. Hmm. Um, and it's one bolt to take the the limbs off. It is absolutely a backpackable uh, crossbow. Yeah. It's, it's functional. I mean, back when you and I were kids, maybe just when I was a kid, they had the, the little crossbows, but they were like 10, 12 pound draw weight. They really were a toy. This thing is that size, but, um, you can't see the bolts coming off of it. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to have such things when I was growing up. Uh, <laughs> you, you poor deprived child. I yeah. Just I had, I had some BB it. guns, but in a pellet gun, but didn't really, uh, other than kind of like shooting some targets in the backyard. Like we didn't really use it for a lot. Yeah. Apart from, I mean, I grew up hunting, but, um, and my dad, at the time, it seemed really weird to me, but it makes sense. I actually had twenty twos and shotguns before I had air rifles. Okay. And his philosophy was people don't take air rifles seriously enough. Um, you know, traditional firearms, people are very aware that they're dangerous and they'll kill you. But a lot of people don't take air rifles seriously enough. And that's why we tend to do stupid things like, think it's okay to have air gun wars mm-hmm. um, only one pump <laughs> <laughs> yeah because that always happens <laughs> um a friend of mine uh <clears throat> they had been having an air gun war all day and they've been <clears throat> very safe they're wearing these little goggles and it was the end of the day 
And one of them was just messing around and leaned over and shot one of the lenses and it just disintegrated. And everybody kind of cut their eyes at each other like, maybe we're not as safe as we think we are. Yeah. Which brings us back to people just don't take them seriously enough sometimes. Yeah. When I was younger, we we did more fishing. We didn't do didn't see, didn't do much hunting. So did that a lot with my my uncle Jim. Yeah, we were uh, we were fishing the summer and hunting the winter. Because uh, my lord, these teenagers eat a lot. Kind of family. <laughs> yeah, my favorite was to go fishing for walleye. That that's like still my favorite fish to eat. Um, I have not, you, uh, another guest that we were talking to, um, y'all were talking about that and I, that, that's something I got to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, it's a super mild fish and it's great. I also like bluegill. You've probably eaten a bunch of those. Oh yeah. Red ear. They might be down there. Uh, uh we call them brim. Okay. A couple different varieties, but you end up having to eat like 15 of those to make a meal. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they get like really big. So, but they are fun to catch, especially on like a really light, you know, like a five pound tackle. Yeah. They fight a lot harder than any bass I've ever bought. Yeah. So, okay. I found the, uh, found the link for Steamboat. <laughs> and, this is the tactical one. I can't find. You search around a little bit. They've got a quote unquote survival that doesn't have the magazine on top. That makes it a lot more compact. That okay. is not how you spell tactical. You know what? Kyle will fix it. <laughs> nope. That's definitely not it. I should just take pictures of what all everything you're typing no we're we're too good of friends for that there you go uh the same company also makes a pneumatic driven self-cocking device which okay. apart from just being a really cool engineering challenge and makes it a, a super quick breakdown Having had my arm in a sling for another two months, six weeks, um, it allows people. I know a lot of people that have got arm injuries that they don't have a lot of strength or coordination. Um, and it is, it's a self uh, cocking bow that runs on uh, like CO2 cartridges that would let somebody that, um, you know, if they've got a bum arm, they would mm -hmm. still be able to archery hunt. Yeah, I know some some states you actually have to have like a, a disability card or something to be able to use crossbows. Um, but yeah, a lot of states down here, once the ADA said, uh, if you allow bow hunting, then you have to let people, disabled people that can use a crossbow, use a crossbow. Okay. Um, a lot of the states finally said, you know, what, we're going to save all of y'all all the trouble of getting your doctor to write some bullshit note. And we're just going to let everybody use crossbows. Yeah. I don't understand why it's so much different. I mean, um, like it seems like a bow crossbow be like similar thing, but. So know. there's a couple of things. One, um, 
When I got my crossbow, I got it for a bear hunt in Canada. And okay. I'm of the opinion that if you're going to poke a bear with a stick, you want it moving really fast. So mine is a 175 pound draw weight crossbow. Wow. Which Mark Hopper, who's a freaking mountain of a man and trained since he was a child shooting English longbow, mm-hmm. um, was a beast. And he's the only person I know of, I've ever heard of, that can fire a 100 pound bow and he can't hold it. Like he uses the English style of look, draw, and as soon as you come to your, your full draw, you loose the arrow. Mm-hmm. So even him, you know, being damn near a shaved Wookiee, <laughs> um, having a lifetime of training on a bow, couldn't draw back a bow at 100 pounds and hold it, which frequently when you're doing things like deer hunting, you know, you... You're back, you're ready, but it steps in front of a little brush. You know, you're, you've got to hold tension on the, butt, on the string until you get just the right shot, mm-hmm. which is part of what makes compound bows help because when they're full draw, you're only holding a fraction of the weight. Mm-hmm. But I so, mean, those, those being legal, like you would think the crossbow would be. But. So a heavy, the last time I was looking at compound bows, a heavy compound bow was 75 pounds. Like the the final thing or before the the final thing that's that's how you judge the weight okay and my crossbow which is probably 10 years out of date was 175 pounds and once it's cocked you know there's no tension Mm -hmm. um no force to hold it yeah no yeah you're not holding it and up to 60 yards that thing shoots like a rifle i mean it is just a dead flat trajectory so for some yeah Nice. Yeah, man. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I was shooting a fixed, uh, I think it was one and five eighths inch, three bladed broadhead. And it went through the body cavity, through the foreleg and stuck in a stump behind it. Wow. Um, which is how I know I chose the right crossbow. <laughs> um, so do you have a bearskin rug on the floor? Um, it's actually on the wall. On the wall? I'll, uh, I'll take a picture and we'll put... Uh, yeah, it's the backdrop from my absinthe fountain. <laughs> that's not creepy now that I say it out loud. Um, but, you know, it's right next to the condom machine. Yeah, my, my basement is kind of messed up, dude. I didn't really get it until I said it out loud. Got to put like four quarters in there to get one? Yeah, it's a like a, a antique 1950s condom machine like you would see in bathrooms. Oh, you're like not joking. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> you were joking <laughs> when i do uh when i was doing a bunch of furniture stuff i went to a lot of the antique marts and that kind of stuff and have picked up <clears throat> um i've got to repaint it yeah i got to repaint it i've got a 150 pound uh world war ii bomb casing uh got the condom machine absinthe fountain i got some odd sh- hand grenades yeah uh, no 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 hand grenades i do not have any hand grenades dummy grenades <laughs> dummy grenades yeah <laughs> A lightsaber. Yeah. Um, hanging just below the traditional saber. Cause, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a modern and new kind of guy. Yeah. Cool. We got, Oh yeah. And now I know how we got off the topic. Yeah. So for in some, some jurisdictions, a crossbow has just got so many advantages that it's, it's hard to put it in the same category as a traditional recurve archery bow. 
Yeah. So some states uh, regulate them more than others. Hmm. So, uh, like I said, I, I feel like you can draw a pretty fairly good parallel there, but yeah, I also feel like you should be able to shoot rifle all in all the states and stuff. So I got a little frustrated where I was in Pennsylvania. You could hunt with a shotgun and that shotgun could be a three inch Magnum 12 gauge with a rifled bull barrel, which is basically a 78 caliber rifle that is firing like a half ounce projectile at 2,200 feet per second. And that's okay because it's a shotgun. Mm -hmm. But my old 3030, which is a fraction of the weight and velocity, or even like a pistol carbine, like a 44 carbine, that was forbidden because it was a rifle. Mm -hmm. But I could literally have an anti-materials rifle, and that was fine because it was a shotgun. Yeah. The laws just have not kept up with common sense. Well, laws don't have much to do with common sense. Yeah. But I think we're getting too close to politics here, Dan. Yeah. Let's move on to our next uh, shout out here. Oh, yeah. Um, I got a new batch of the dogwood tweezers coming in. So it's a shout out to me. Yay, me. Um, I really like mine. And uh, I I have two of them that I got for myself. And uh, my one son has commandeered the the offset bent ones. So he said those are his because I kind of like the straight ones better. So every time I make bacon, that's the, my go-to deal. It works really well. I, uh, I have been amazed at the number of people that will buy one set at the show and then start buying them off the website. I'm really having to come to terms with the fact that I might be a tweezer dealer that occasionally makes knives. (laughs) Whatever Um, it takes, man. Yeah. I think we've sold 800 pairs of tweezers this year. Wow. That's pretty good. And you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do hardly much work to those, right? Yeah, no, it, uh, it turns out there might be something to this production stuff. Yeah. And reselling stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had no idea. We've, we've established I'm a little slow picking things up, but <laughs> nice. Um, um, so you want to talk about some of the stuff from shot show? Yeah. Um, so just for perspective, those that have gone to Blade Show, Blade Show would fit, there was five levels of SHOT Show across two different uh, convention centers. And then they also have like the whole firearms range that's like completely separate. Yeah, so that, that's, right? uh, yeah, and I I should have done it this year, but I didn't want to abuse the the media credentials too much. They have Monday is media day. And if you've got media credentials, you go out to one of the huge ranges in out in the desert and a lot of the dealers that are there. So you can shoot M203s, you can shoot full auto, you can shoot whatever the the new model of whatever they're going to have out. And it's really for the the gun industry guys to to actually get hands on. So I didn't I didn't feel right about honing in because I would just be doing it because it's freaking cool because <laughs> uh, it's freaking cool but yeah. they actually need the hands-on because that's their job yeah so I'll probably be less respectful last year because they got to shoot some cool stuff <laughs> um, yeah. but Blade Show would fit 
inside of the smallest floor of SHOT Show, and there were five floors. It, uh, I made the comment, if sh- uh, Blade Show is like trying to drink from a fire hydrant, SHOT Show is like trying to drink from the ocean. It was, it was five days, and I, I was having to, to use their app to try to filter out for all the knife companies, and I still struggled to make it by to see everybody. Wow. Um, and it's international. A couple of French companies I had never heard of. Um, one does a really cool, quote-unquote, French army knife. I, I made a post about it. I'll have to find a, I'll find a link for the next show. Because okay. it's a cool, it's a, use, it's a folding knife with a nice usable, like, three-and-a-half, four-inch blade. And then a, a fork and a spoon. And, of course, a corkscrew because it's French. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I found about a really cool Czech company. Um, you know what? Not this show, but a very, an upcoming show because I found so much, uh, overseas OEM possibilities. Okay. Anybody that's listened to too many of these podcasts know that I am really about trying to keep it U.S., um, not just out of a nationalist pride, but I'm a U.S. maker. I'd like for people to support me. So I try to support other U.S. makers just out of camaraderie. But uh, yeah, maybe I haven't support. recovered. From, yeah, eh, deeper than that. Uh, it'll come to me. Apparently, I haven't recovered as much as I thought from Vegas. But uh, <laughs> um, But just that sense of. Yeah, it keeps sounding nationalistic when I say it's taking care of my own. But as a maker, I would like for other makers to to support me as a local guy. Mm-hmm. But especially if you want that 250, 300 piece to a thousand piece production that. As I that I think you found the same thing, that's the, that's your first step going from custom into the, the mid tech production line. And if you want to do that in the U.S., it's either absolutely freaking expensive, 18 months back ordered, or not a company that, that you really want to put your name on. Um, everybody knows about China and Taiwan, and I actually found uh, some really good uh, Chinese companies. I was Everybody knows about Wii, and uh, before Wii, it was Kaiser. But I, I got to give the devil their due. Um, there were a couple of Chinese production companies that their fit and finish was outstanding. Um, quality was, was as good as what I've seen in the, the same market bracket mm-hmm. in the States. Yeah. Uh, they've been buying a lot of the, the highest end machines, like brand new CNCs and stuff. So a lot of their stuff is really good. Yeah. Uh, found a Czech company and that's just, that wasn't even on my radar. I stumbled onto them they make some really nice knives and they take some OEM work. I found a couple other companies. Um, all right. The real reason I'm not telling y'all about these companies is I got a couple of projects I need to get lined up. <laughs> and once I'm in, then I'll let everybody know. But uh, it really opened my eyes to some overseas work. Yeah. Um, still, there's still a couple of companies here in the States that I'm bird dogging as they spin up. Um, uh, Valhalla is one of them. Um, they're just, they're just not quite ready yet. Uh, that's their opinion, not mine. They're making good knives, but they're still working bugs out of their, 
their systems so they're not taking orders. Uh, I'm still keeping an eye on some of those companies because as soon as they're available, I'm going to get in with them. But in the meantime, it turns out there is some quality overseas work. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in the next episode or two, we'll do a little bit of a deep dive on that because I want to, I mean, I, I was joking about getting in first, but I do want to go over my notes and get names right and that kind of thing. And that, that's something we'll, we'll go down a rabbit hole on. Nice. Short version is open my eyes to there's a lot more options than I thought there was. Yeah. Um, couple of cool ideas. Um, it is really hard to be innovative in this industry. Um, it's one of the reasons patents in the knife industry are so uncommon because everything's been done. Really, it comes down to it's either a new combination of things that have already been done or applying modern material science to a traditional style to be able to get higher performance. Yep. Sometimes the locks too. Yep. So, uh, matter of fact, some form of locking mechanism, I think is the overwhelming majority outside of material science. So the, if you go to one of these shows looking for new, you're not really going to see new. You can see, you'll see innovative, it's not necessarily going to be a new system or a new device, but done in a, a new way or a better way. Um, so there's a lot of cool new shapes. Uh, metallurgy is just springing forward. Been interesting on uh, finishes. What a wide variety of finishes. Because when I came up, it was satin or polished. Uh, then I started working in Andy's shop and he was doing some three-dimensional texturing. And then it was stonewash, and now it's it's really getting amazing how many different finishes. Uh, to that point, uh, there's at least two laser engraving companies that I want to interview because they've got some tabletop stuff. It's an investment, but it's it's practical for our level of productivity, mm-hmm. which opens up. You know what? Um, we're among family here. It's a it's a podcasters or a, pod, or a knife makers podcast. Rather than doing like a full 600 grit finish, you could go to like a, a 120, 200 grit finish and then laser etch a pattern into the blade and save yourself hours on magna cut, days of hand sanding. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of possibilities there, not only to, uh, to make your knives more unique. I've been playing around with some optical illusion square patterns to etch on a blade that are just, it's just cool. And it makes the blades stand out, but it can save you some on the, on the production side, which is, I want to have them on to talk about it. Cause I had a lot of questions like, more than somebody wants to answer on the show floor, but it's something that I'm seriously con- considering investing in. Yeah. I've wanted a laser for a while now, especially since I, uh, want to do my serial numbers and stuff on my blade still and uh that's five marks i do with my electro etch so um it takes like close to 10 minutes per knife to do all make sure everything's lined up and do all five stencils and they're they're it's car money it's used car but a nice used car mm-hmm. yeah well it, pretty much what i saw is 10 to twenty five thousand dollars some of your, some of that comes with a couple of days of tr- uh, training, which you've got to 
when you start pricing things out, it's important to take that into consideration. Yeah. You don't want to just have a $10,000 paperweight. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you only know one thing to do with it. But mm-hmm. part of what I'm looking at is since I've got, we've got a pretty strong culture here in South Carolina that's growing. We're starting to get it organized, meeting each other. If me or somebody like me, you know, basically, if you can get one or two guys in each of the guilds that has one, uh, back of the back of the napkin math says that it might financially work if you're picking up, if you're doing yours and etching for ten or fifteen other makers, it yeah. it's conceivable. Yeah, you just got to have enough people close to you. So, yeah, well, and what I've learned is. You've got to be able to buy it as though you're not going to get any work out of it. Like you're the only person using it because things just happen. Like if you, with some exceptions, there's some business guys, but my rule of thumb is if you are counting on getting outside work to pay for the equipment at our level, that's a dangerous thing to do. I mean, there's, there's companies that obviously do that with their equipment. That's not quite us. I think everybody. Some bigger contracts. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think most of the people listening to this podcast are are like us. We're small time in the process of moving up to big time. You you don't have a lawyer on staff to write contracts like that? (laughs) No. And I, uh, yeah, I don't have six months of operating expenses tucked away in the bank just in case. Yeah. Um, So I'm just putting it out there, guys. Learn from your old Uncle Dan's mistakes because it's cheaper to learn from mine than make your own. If you're looking at investing in in high-dollar equipment, let getting extra work out of it be your gravy. Yeah. All right. And yet again, we have diverged from, you know, this was going to be a quick podcast. Here I am. Okay. Show notes. Whew. Adderall. You know what? I didn't take my Adderall today. Do you think anybody can tell? Maybe. (laughs) All right. You know what? Um, Really, for me, the show was about uh, the people. Uh, Just like Blade Show is a great, is one of the few times out of the year you get that many industry people together. This was one of the rare times that not just the industry people, but the periphery people. Um, So I'm going to name drop a little bit. Not all of these people are committed, but I've got handshakes from them and contact information. So I plan on scheduling them over the next couple of months. So if you know them and go, hey, I heard you're going to be on the podcast. And they say, eh, I wasn't lying. I just haven't confirmed with everybody. <laughs> um, finally got to met, uh, meet Swag. And she has got a fascinating story um, about becoming an influencer, some of the pitfalls, how to manage that. I'm really looking forward to having her on partially. So us makers have got a concept of what it's like for them and why they do the things that they do. And there's a few listeners that I've talked to um, like Grumpy and some other guys that are also in that, in that part of the industry. Mm. So I'd love to have her come on and talk about how, Really, she built it up from a concept to a a brand and some of the things that she's learned to do and some of the things that she's learned not to do. Um, Dana Gleason, who is not in the industry, 
but he owns uh, Mystery Ranch. Uh, also used to own Dana Design, who they got started, I'm pretty sure, mountaineering. But when I was when I was on the AT, they were one of the absolute premier backpacking brands. Mm-hmm. He well, was still they still are, I think, one of the premier backpacking brands. Um, he was incredibly kind and spent an hour middle of the show floor on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday talking to me. Uh, there's surprising amount of overlap in design. But more importantly, he has basically started two companies and turned them into multi-million dollar companies. Um, so he's agreed to come on and talk um, really just general. How do you go from an idea to a multi-million dollar company? Uh, we're going to talk to a man that's done it at least twice. Mm. One of the great lessons he was giving me is the difference between an idea and a product. You can have something that's a phenomenal idea, but it's just not a marketable product. Which I think is something a lot of us fall into because as being both the, the designer and the manufacturer, you fall in love with it. I mean, you think it's a great idea. You would buy one. You've invested time, money, sweat. Uh, and sometimes we can't see that, yeah, it's a really cool idea, but it's not a marketable product. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he's not he's not knife industry, but I learned a phenomenal amount in one hour talking to him. So I think everybody else will. We may need to break that one up into a two hour or two episode podcast because I mean, he had that much information to download. Wow. Uh, Ken Onion, who I don't, I think we can all agree is absolutely in the industry. Uh, got to talk to him at the CRKT booth. And first of all, amazingly approachable. Um, Clay from uh, Knife Mag introduced us and kind of called me out. He's like, dude, that's the first time I've ever heard you like stumble over your words, lock up, be tongue tied. Yeah, Ken Onion. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to be a jackass. And that's really the first 75% of all my material. <laughs> but he was incredibly approachable. And again, um, we were talking about um, some of the IP stuff, talking to Doug and he made the observation like, I can teach that class. Do you know how many times I've gotten screwed or how many times it's gone really well? So I'm really looking forward, and that one may be three or four episodes, but um, I'm really looking forward to that, both, again, how to go from the concept to building a, a nationally recognized brand. He has seen different parts of the industry from a lot of different perspectives, so I'm looking forward to hearing from him about just a general industry overlook. Again, from a designer, from a business owner, uh, from someone building a brand. The amount of information he downloaded to me in 15 minutes on do's and don'ts. Like I said, that could easily be a four part episode. Just, I was take, I had to walk away from the booth and take notes after just a 15 minute conversation with him. Wow. That's cool. Um, Laser Engraver, I already mentioned, there's two companies that uh, I want to have on. They've got two different approaches. 
I've, I haven't used either one, so we want to be clear that we're not uh, we're not sponsoring, we're not uh, we're not vouching for either of these companies. And I like the idea of having multiple companies on, so we'll get multiple different ideas. They have two okay. different approaches, so I'm hoping we'll get the pros and cons and and kind of make an educated decision. Um. Uh, I should have known. Well, I knew. And then I just kind of had the what the heck moment. Um, Sean from Button Knives <laughs> is uh, he's with Spyderco now. So looking forward to having him back on. We really didn't get as deep into. Um, OK, sorry, you're changing the show notes. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I really have not taken my intro all day. <laughs> um. So I, I still want to do a deep dive on some of the sharpening with him. Um, we had some uh, really good conversations. All right. Where were we? Uh, laser engravers. You, can you onions. Saw, yeah. Laser engravers. Hang on. And then yeah. uh, you were talking about spider co and then. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So uh, saw David. Yeah. So we're going to have uh, Sean on to talk about, and I want to deep, deeper dive into sharpening. Uh want to talk about his odyssey into his relationship with spider co and then uh, i'm looking forward to actually having a, a spider co rep come on um it's a company i've used a lot of their knives i've always known i mean they've always been around but i really don't know a lot about the company or how they got started so yeah i, I want to have them on yeah there's a really there's a really or there's a really supposedly a really good book that they printed like 200 of it was like the story of spider co and it's on my eBay list. If any anybody wants to sell it for a somewhat reasonable price, the cheapest I've seen the book is like five hundred dollars. And I'm like, I'd like to know more about Spiderco's history, but not really wanted to shell out like two or two or more knives worth of money to know about it. Look, if if I've learned anything from media credentials for Shot Show, uh, pictures with swag, the the chance to meet uh, Ken Onion, it's really. Uh, what's the purpose of doing this if it's not to abuse our uh, our positions? Yeah. I mean, you could pay $500 for a book or we could just get somebody from the company to come over and tell us all about it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a thinking man. Good job. Uh, obviously, saw Mr. Anderson. Uh, he has got he's got a couple of things apart from the David C. Anderson personality at Knife Center. Uh, David Anderson has got a couple of interesting projects coming up. One or two of them are about to finalize. And once they do, I'm looking forward to having him on. He's done some kind of cool design stuff. Cool. Um, He's definitely handled more knives than most people. So probably has some good perspective on. He, he is. He is an absolute fountain of knowledge um, for just that point. He's handled. Probably more knives than maybe um, Mark Zawicki might have handled more than him, but it'd be a close race. Yeah. He's definitely handled a lot more new knives than Mark has. Yeah. <laughs> um, got to hang out with Mark and Clay, and I had a real aha moment. Uh, this is somewhat true of David Anderson because he was he was a pretty prolific writer for a while before he went to video. 
any chance you get to to build relationships with any of the media in this industry? Do and not just for the what seems obvious self-serving so they'll talk about you. Um, I had some ideas. I was looking for some people to team up with, and I was really fortunate. I ran into to Clay and Mark in the in the media break room, and they just started rattling off. So and so has been doing something like that. Uh, the other companies got a hole in their lineup, and they've been looking to do something similar. And suddenly had because they write on this stuff, they know all the background on these companies, they know all the lineups. Very quickly, they could go, no, 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 no. They're about to come out with something very similar to this. You want to go talk to these guys over here who are trying to market something like that. Or, you know, that's very similar. It would it would connect well in concept with this other company. And I feel like such an idiot for not realizing it. But what when you're looking for a partner, what a great source for background information. Mm-hmm. Um they were phenomenally helpful and just some suggestions on knowing everybody's lineup, knowing, knowing where they're headed, where they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost one of those things. No, not almost. I literally, it's the sort of thing I literally would have paid an hourly rate to, to sit down and take notes for. Yeah. Um, there used to be some guys actually, I think, no, it wasn't Mark. There was another guy on forums that used to be, there was a basically a knife historian and it was, I think $45 an hour. And I paid it one time cause I was trying to figure out a, a pattern Okay, and he could deep dive on it and, you know, history and background and who's made it and why they don't still make it. And that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, they really could, provide a consulting service that I would absolutely pay for. Huh. Um, dibs, um, come through me. I'm going to be the broker. I'm the, uh, the knife mag <laughs> uh, consultant broker. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but the point of that is as y'all develop, as you grow in the industry, you're going to start meeting some of these, uh, some of these media guys. Just remember, when you've got questions, it's a really phenomenal resource that I don't think too many people think of. Mm-hmm. Now that I say it, I probably shouldn't have told anybody. <laughs> We're committed now. Yeah. Uh-uh. But I mean, like, yeah, all those people, the bigger your influence, like, uh, you can say, hey, I'm looking for this, or um, we've always said it to make relationships with other makers and stuff. So, like, um, I've got a ton of really thick Westinghouse canvas Micarta. And I I've had a few people reach out to me for special projects and stuff to get some of that stuff. So if you don't know people, you don't know who to, who to go to for stuff. Yeah. And it's um, one of the things I picked up on this show. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to have some success and jokingly, I've always said the number one, the number one lesson, the top of the line Step one in being a successful business is don't be an asshole mm. because friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. Yeah. And this show was an opportunity where people that I had known in the past and I hadn't seen them in years, uh, we ran into each other and they had a little piece of information that was really beneficial to me or, 
in your case, knew about some materials, that sort of thing. As you move through this industry, there's no way for this to not sound self-serving, and I don't mean for it to, because there's really no excuse for ever being an asshole. It's always easier to be nice first and then move up to asshole than be asshole and move down to nice when you're dealing mm-hmm. with people. So there's really no excuse to start off there. Yeah. But you never know when that person that you met however long ago is going to have that connection or that piece of information and vice versa, or the two of y'all are going to be able to team up. Mm-hmm. Um, as big as this show was, it just reminded me how small the industry was and how important friends are. Yeah. People talk about network. I never, never understood the concept of networking. And apparently it's just get to know as many people as you possible and don't be jerks to them. Mm-hmm. And after 15 years in the industry, it's, I'm starting to understand it. Um, saw spin from JRE, um, a little embarrassing. I think I've been working with him for 10 years now. And for some reason I was certain that his name was Sten, like Nordic Sten. Um, <laughs> and finally I heard other people talking to him and I, I just had to, had to point blank ask. I'm like, have I been saying your name wrong? He's like, yeah, it's, it's spin. <laughs> you know, why didn't you tell me before? It's like, ah, you know, I just didn't want to embarrass you. (laughs) Close enough. Yeah. So um, I'm sure he could be called a lot worse. Yeah. I've called him other things. (laughs) Uh, We've had a couple of people on from JRE, but uh, he, he imparts knowledge really well. And he does some hands on that. I think, uh, I think I'd like to have him back on or have him on. Yeah. Um, Joe flowers. He's, he's only uh, 30 minutes away from me. So. We oh, could perfect. even make that uh could do a live uh Yeah spin and me episode. Or, yeah, uh, you could you. have somebody in your basement for a change. Yeah, we did one in my garage, so we won't do that again with my kids. So <laughs> sorry guys for all the background noise, but it is what it is. Um of course I saw Jungle Joe Flowers because you know if you say his name three times, he appears. <laughs> with a machete. Yes. <laughs> um and I am sure he will be back on, if not for one of our jungle adventures. He is he is back down a rabbit hole on some designs. Yeah. Was um, he at the was he there with Condor? He was. Uh and he's working on uh he's working with a couple of other people. I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to say that much. Okay. But I think we're uh he's gonna have a lot of industry foresight. He's yeah. he's been in this since he was fourteen and is one of the nicest human beings I know, so I think I know people. Joe knows everything. <laughs> Joe knows knives. Yeah. At least all the bushcraft sty- side of it. Yeah. Uh, he's been getting into kitchen a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been a nice change. I, I finally know as much or maybe even a touch more than him about some form of knife. Yeah. Does he do much of the folding stuff? I didn't think he really cared N- about most things that folded. Not that I've seen. Um, and I don't think it's a lack of caring. It's just he's not finished exploring every possible avenue of uh, research on machetes and fixed blade. Mm. Well, those so, are pretty, pretty darn cool. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say the pinnacle of knives, but we all know they are. <laughs> <laughs> 
I put uh, them in kitchen knives pretty close. Yeah, well, they're basically same, same. Yeah. <clears throat> it uh, it wouldn't be a show without crazy Uncle Ethan. Yeah. Got to see him at K-Bar. Uh, he's got a couple of, uh, he's got a new pattern coming out and uh, a couple of revamps of some old patterns that are pretty cool. He's Were doing you? another, go ahead. Oh, you're, you're going to say some more stuff about Ethan. Yeah, he's just doing a, a a new, more of a bushcraft style that four and a half, four, four and a half inch blade. Um, you know, he, he's coming back around from the, he went way down on the big choppers for a while and now he's coming back into some, some field knives. So is he mainly there with K-Bar? Yeah. Or, okay. No, he and, uh, he and K-Bar are, are attached at the hip. Okay. Did you happen to run into Nick, uh, from, uh, RH Prado? I gave him your name and phone number. We tried a couple of times and I did not. And there were a couple of guys that had booths that were in the 5,000 numbers and they were kind of the, the material suppliers and that sort of thing. And I didn't realize it, but those booths were only open for two days. Okay. So there were a couple of ga- a couple of guys in the 5,000s that they were on my list. I meant to come by and see them and then found out that I had waited a day too long. Gotcha. Um, it uh, really, if it weren't for people being at booths, like Joe at Condor or the media guys that I would meet in the media room. It is surprisingly hard to meet people. I mean, it is, it is for all intents and purposes, a city. Yeah. So the chances of running across people are pretty, pretty minimal. And even a couple of guys that I was trying to meet, we would both be free and not have a meeting, but we would literally be a 45 minute walk apart. And then we'd, try again and it would just it was hard to meet up with people yeah i get it um and then nemanja he i actually met him he's serbian i met him on the last jungle uh trip with joe uh, bushcraft global yeah i said that right bushcraft global for all your jungle needs see jungle joe flowers and bushcraft global for your amazon adventures <laughs> Uh, and he has two new patterns with Condor. Um, want to have him come on to talk about that, but I really, he he comes at knife design 180 degrees off from the direction I do. He has a, an entirely different approach. Um, it's not one I use. I prefer my approach, but he's obviously had success. He's got two patterns with a manufacturer, and I do not yet have a pattern with a manufacturer. So obviously there's something to his his style. And I've always said, or we've already said, we don't want this to be a an echo chamber. We we want people to learn. We want to learn. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to having him on. We're gonna have a little bit of a time zone issue because he's in Serbia. But I really want to have him on as just a a fresh breath. He's a successful designer that has a different approach. And if my if my approach isn't working for you, maybe his will. Um, and if I sound bitter and jealous, it's only because of the terrible audio. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, and I got to admit, I, I full out fanboyed. Um, I I would try to cover it up, but Tim, Tim and spin were, were right there to see me. Um, I met, uh, Granger McCoy, actually little Granger. Um, so Granger McCoy, really, if you can like, 
pause the podcast for a second, do a Google search on Granger McCoy, uh, maybe add wood carving. The man is a, a no joke, freaking national treasure. Um, he started out carving duck decoys and now he's got sculptures in the Met. Some of the finest museums have his sculptures. I've seen a couple and from four inches away, you cannot tell that they're carved. Like, you know, for an absolute fact that they're just in mid flight, that the wings about to move the, the level of detail that he, he carves. And he does some, some of them are multi pieces, four and five feet tall. It one's a covey of quail on the rise. So it's, not just the wood carving, but the design to have all of these, all of these quail interlocked. So it looks like they're all going off in opposite directions, but they're supported. The whole sculpture supports back down to a little tuft of grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then little Granger, um, I'm not sure who originally designed their wing knife, but he's used this, this feather motif. And they're doing a knife and a couple other things, but they really, apart from just abusing my position um, to meet someone I've, I've always wanted to meet, uh, I really am looking forward to talking to them uh, both because Granger's working with a bunch of companies in South China. Uh, they produce, they do some knives, they do some jewelry, they do quite a few things under their brand. And I'd love to talk to him about his experience with with overseas in China, um, the the brand he works with will do runs as small as I think two hundred or two hundred and fifty pieces. Um, so I want to talk to him about what he's learned, what he would do again, mistakes he's made, but I also want to talk some design principles because they make sculpture that your eye is absolutely certain that it's in motion. And one of the the guiding principles that I've learned in knife design is from an aesthetic reason approach from a way to get people interested in your knife to pick it up is you want that sense of motion. So I'm, I'm hoping we can deep dive a little bit and, and learn, learn some ideas on how they get those lines, how they, how they get that sense of motion from a, from a static option, object, sorry, static object, object, hang Static object. There we go. Yeah. And as you can hear, I'm geeking out a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm into sculpture as well. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Uh, that's the first time I had heard of the guy and looked up some of the, the pictures and stuff and some pretty impressive stuff. Um, and then we've got uh, talked about uh, started to say uni clip again, utility clip. UT clip. Um, clip. Uh, <laughs> um, again, it's a, a little bit of a niche market that they've grown into a pretty successful business. So apart from talking about the product, which they're going to want to do and I'm interested in, uh, again, it's it's somebody that took not just knife making, but a niche part of knife making and have grown that into a, a business. And I want to find out how they did it. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so Sun Devil is a 
a lot of people have probably not heard of Sun Devil. They are, they're a step above, he's a reseller, importer, wholesaler. Uh, they're a step above gas station knives, but it's, it's that 12-year-old, you bought them because they were freaking cool, not necessarily practical knives. Hmm. But he sells a lot of them. And it's part of the industry. It's not the part that we focus on, but we've always said that we want to explore every part of the industry. Mm -hmm. As I've learned uh, doing that reselling thing, there's something to be said for it. Um, he also came out with a new a line of his own uh, called Plague. Started out with a karambit. He was doing it during uh, COVID. Okay. And he noticed that the, the shape of the karambit blade looked a lot like the beak on the old Plague Doctor masks. Okay. Started, um, we'll find out what coating he's using, but started coating these knives with these little characters of a Plague Doctor, um, which he has since trademarked. And it's the Plague Doctor and the Grim Reaper and it's little scenes as though this was just their nine to five job. Okay. Uh, I think he's moved 10, 15,000 knives this year wow so you know it may not be your your genre of knife it not, may not be where where you're focusing mm -hmm. but anybody moving that kind of volume has got a lot that he can teach me mm -hmm. um so it's going to be a little bit of a a slight right turn from what our usual guest is but I'm very much looking forward to to having him on um, and just learning about a, a new part of the industry and yeah. hopefully how we can sell some knives. Yeah. Um, I'm having charade on. I want y'all to hear me out. Growing up, I loved charade. Uh, when I was in the army, I carried a charade belt knife partially because it was one of the only ones that I could find with an ambidextrous sheath. But also because it was a good, steady, dependable blade with a nice rubberized grip. Um, and then they went through a dark period. Uh, kind of culminated, I wouldn't say peak. I would say the, the bottom of the valley was probably that Jessica X abomination. Um, but they have turned around. Um, not all of the knives in their lineup are, are winners right now. But... I think this is one of the reasons we're going to have a, a rep on. I think they've had a change in management. They've definitely had a change in outlook and design. They had some really good quality um, pieces. Uh, it's been about a two-year process. Uh, they're continuing to, to turn the company. Uh, and I, that's a big part. Part of it is I, I want to bring them on and give them credit for being able to see an issue and fix it. And I also want to talk about turning a company that big is like turning the Titanic. Uh, I've had to make changes in my patterns and designs. Uh, you know, great example is I went from bushcraft and pseudo tactical to kitchen. Uh, I would like to hear how a company that big makes a change because I promise y'all, if you stay in this industry long enough, you're going to have to change direction. Might be design. It might be products. It might be that young you shot your mouth off and stated something that was absolute fact. And now the technology's changed and 
by goodness, you're going to be making those knives. There is a lot to learn, uh, both internal and externally, on on being able to make changes in your company. And again, I, I want to give them some credit. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there that aren't willing to admit that they, they need to work on something, and Charade has, and they're succeeding. Yeah. And then uh, Atlas was not at, uh, at uh, SHOT Show, but... I've been pestering Dan for a while to come on and talk materials. And I think I finally got him cornered. So I, uh, I want to have them on. They're a huge supplier of micarta. I am finally starting to learn about things like the grades of micarta. Um, I'm a little curious about how some of their exotics are made. Really just want to have him on and talk about the materials, both. The science behind it, but also the industry, um, because if I can't be the only one that right now, there's a lot of stuff I'm having trouble finding. Mm -hmm. And the more you understand about your materials industry, the more likely you are to figure out where things are going to be. Um, I love that sure touch uh, G10 and rubber grip. I saw an article a while ago that said something about, and it was basically saying the rubber industry had had issues. Surprise, surprise. Now the cost of that sure touch material has gone through the roof. Um, learning about your, uh, learning about the industry that supplies you gives you a chance to, to have some prediction on where things are going to be less important when you're making your ones and twos. But when you start moving up into your, your 50s and your 200 batches, that starts to get important. And when you start moving into the thousand piece range, it's vital. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, learn from my advice or learn from my mistakes because it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, or I had one that I saw, uh, David Anderson pointed it out to us uh, on their Knife Center uh, Instagram, watching all the stuff from Shot Show was uh hard um <laughs> but it benchmade had a knife that i actually caught my eye uh it's called the narrows and it was a super thin titanium uh almost like a bug out type looking knife um but uh used a new axis lock type lock i think he said um that they were patent pending um but yeah it looks super cool and he said it was super lightweight and it looked like uh, both the scales together looked like it wasn't much thicker than what the the blade was. So uh, you really had me cool, at thin, thin pocket knife. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I, you had me at thin. I'm in. Yeah, he uh, he was. He also did a video where uh, talking about Sean's uh, 15V the that he's doing for Spider Co. The paramilitary two and uh, what's the the other one. Um, he's got two more knives coming out for sprint roans and 15 V. I'm like, man, I just keep lots of knives. I want to spend money on. Yeah. And he had, um, can't remember which platform it was on, but someone tried to kind of bust his stones on 15 V uh, and it's CPM 15 V, but he had the best response. He's like, try it. Just try it before, before you talk about how bad it is, try it. it may, there may be more there than you think it is. 
and he has sharpened enough knives that I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about the steel. I'm going to learn about it, but just file that away, guys. One of the best responses when somebody starts talking down your materials is going to be, have you tried it? Yeah. Um, be prepared. Was, be prepared for them to lie. Have a few follow up questions, but yeah, I was lucky enough to snag one of the Manix twos that um, Spiderco did a sprint run, and uh, I haven't used it yet, but um, pretty excited to. So, um, do you have any more shout outs for Shot Show? Um, that's pretty much it. There's a. There's a quite a few other people that I've talked to and I'm really looking forward to talking about, but I'm not sure what's what the public is allowed to know yet. So I got to circle back around. There's a couple of more guests that I have in mind that are going to be really great shows, but um, I don't want to be the jerk that that released the information too early. So um, do you get or anything else, Dan? Um, that is about it. Um, I'm sure we're going to stop recording and I'm going to think of the 5,700 other really cool things from shot show, but we can just string those out through episodes. So yeah, I can get the joy of seeing the, the look of broken hearted shame that you didn't get to come. (laughs) Uh, It it feeds me. Yeah. (laughs) You can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Knife Perspective. Uh, and you can find the podcast everywhere that you're listening to it now. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And your email's back up. It yes? is. Excellent. Uh, you know what? Next podcast, we are going to have a, a little conversation about that because I learned some really expensive painful lessons okay. on the IT side. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to throw it out there. Um, offer was accepted on the uh, new headquarters for Dogwood Custom Knives. Oh. So we may have some podcasts coming up on, hey, you want to lay out a new shop? Here's some things you need to know. Nice. Yeah. When we talked about that before, there was some good, good stuff that helped me. So. Uh, you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives, Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and Kyle at CageDailyKnives.com. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and thank you all of our sponsors for all the support. Say goodnight, Dan. Good night, Dan. <laughs> well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. Speak of the devil, there's David Anderson. I'm just going to let him know. That, hey, should I, should I put him on speaker? Is he calling you? Yeah. Sure, put him on the podcast. All right, hang on. Um, I just hung up on him. Let me call him back.
Mr. Anderson, you're live. You're live on air and recorded. Welcome. Welcome to the Knife Perspective Blade Show. the microphone. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hang on. They may not have been able to hear you. Ooh, let me turn the volume up, too. Welcome to the Knife Perspective Shot Show Wrap Up. You know, they, they believed it until you said good friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I oversold it there a little bit. I, I appreciate the attempt, though. Hi, David. You, you, can't, you can't hear me. Oh, man. I just. Oh, yeah. All right. Let me unplug the headphones so he can hear Kyle. <laughs> Hi, David. All right. And I'm going to turn up the volume. I'm an expert. Okay. You can say hi now, Kyle. Hi, David. It is. Yeah. Uh, um, so what can I do for you that you can speak to uh, on the podcast? Absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that was the case. Um, give me about an hour and a half and I'll call you back. Hey, no worries. It was good seeing you at SHOT Show, my friend. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I could contribute to your podcast. I appreciate it. It was a much needed stall that allowed me to get my uh, show notes back in order because Kyle fixed them and now I can't read them. I'm adding <laughs> links. I'm adding all the links Dan should have added. So, uh, side note, uh, we were out at dinner last night and everybody at the table was having trouble with this word. And I looked down, I'm like, Lefroig. Suddenly I realized that it's not so much that I'm dyslexic is that I can only read Gaelic. Ah, that's it. Little, little known fact about Lefroig, the uh, word itself is not actually Scottish in origin. It's French. It means the frog. Son of a... No. No, 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 no. I am not French. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally editing that part out. You have ruined my day. Dan's French. We got it recorded. <laughs> I will. Uh, give me about a give me about another hour, and I'll give you a call. All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I there is a significant amount of Huguenot French in my bloodline, but they're not really French because they were so awesome the French kicked them out. <laughs> All right. 